Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Shittam, and this is a podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better at balancing running with the rest of their lives. Today is a very special show with Paul Johnson. This man is on a mission, and it has been so much fun following him. He is someone who, just a couple years ago, kind of got asked, hey, do you want to run the marathon with me? And since that day, since that decision day of saying yes, this man has been on an absolute tear and is about to embark in the beginning of next year on running across the country. So from marathon to a transcon in a couple of years, it's just the journey has been absolutely remarkable. I was so excited to get Paul on this episode. He is a fantastic follow. Also, if, you, if you're on Instagram, go follow him. It's uh, Powie Johnson. So it's kind of like Paul Johnson, but instead of the L, it's an I. He is fantastic. Also, there's a link to that in the show notes. Before we get into the episode, I want to give a shout out to Ola Dance. These headphones are absolutely fantastic. They just had their Black Friday sales. That is over. But don't worry, you can still save 20% by using code rambling at oladance.com forward slash rambling. I love their OWS2 headphones. It's OWS2 headphones, each one. So they're not connected in the back. They're open ear design, not bone conduction. So the sound quality is pristine. Okay. One goes on one ear, one goes on the other ear. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because it is winter hat season. And unlike those bone conduction headphones that connect with the little little bar in the back, and you can't wear winter hats with them, that is not the case with the Oladance OWS2 headphones. So you get the winter hat on, it's good to go. It feels completely normal and no ear pain or ear fatigue. I've worn a winter hat, I've worn a winter hat, I should say, with these headphones the last three days. And it's worked perfectly. So go to oladance.com forward slash rambling and use code rambling at checkout to save some dough on the best running headphones in the game. Now, let's get into my podcast with Paul Johnson. All right, Paul Johnson, one of my favorite follows from a running perspective on Instagram. I am so delighted to have you on the Rambling Runner podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. So we're recording this over the internet, which is like, it's just, it's the worst. I'm the worst at planning some of these things. You actually live like 40 minutes away from me in Rhode Island. I know. I know. We could have just gotten dinner or something. <laughs> we should have. I'm flying out to go to the California National Marathon yep. tomorrow for a bunch of live shows. And I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. But I didn't want to wait to get you on the podcast. I'm like, hey, this guy is doing such amazing stuff. He might be on every other podcast in the next month. I got to get him on now before like he's on all these other ones. Because I, I see you out there doing some amazing stuff. And you've been on a lot of amazing shows as well and i couldn't wait to chat i guess it's the moral of the story paul there's so many races and runs that you have done that have just been so much fun to follow from afar uh obviously not that far since we do live in the same state <laughs> with that being said you've really taken to endurance running with this passion and fervor over the past few years but with that said you were into running long before that so can you Walk me through your early stages of getting into running like at any distance and kind of what catapulted you into more of the ultra and basically like max ultra space uh, over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I've been in, in running for a while now. Um, that's I mean, it, it's sort of true. It's it's sort of almost it's like I took a gap kind of a gap year type of thing. Um, so like when I was younger my parents made me do track and cross country through i think eighth grade hated every minute of it um i would say i was a little bit better than average i was like you know a high medium 
um, in terms of how I did. I would make it to, well, I don't remember like the stages of it, but it was like regionals or however those are broken out. I'd make it past the first stage and then just get the floor absolutely wiped with myself. Um, so I did that for a while, and then finally eighth grade, my parents were like, okay, you don't have to do it anymore. And I was like, yes, thank God. Um, but I was still into kind of that running aspect of I would go for runs. I played on the same travel soccer team for like 10 years straight. Um, so I enjoy the physical activity. I enjoy the exercise and, and the endurance aspect of it. Um, but running itself as an action, I was like, man, this, this sucks. Why would I want to do this? Um, this is tough. I hate it. Um, and so, yeah, I did that pretty much my younger years. Um, sophomore, junior year of high school, I wasn't even doing soccer anymore. I wasn't really doing any sports my junior, senior year anymore. Um, got to college, and one of my friends, um, one of my friend's mom, she's super into triathlon. Um, and I had seen her doing this for a while now. And so I guess it was end of my freshman year, she kind of got me to start doing that. And I'm like, all right, end of my freshman year, I'm going to sign up for a sprint triathlon. Um, and it just catapulted from there. So I did the sprint, had a ton of fun with it. Next year, I did an Olympic distance and I did a half Ironman. And then as soon as I finished the half Ironman, I remember sitting in it was one of my mechanical engineering classes. I remember just signing up for the Ironman in class the next day, and I was like, all right, we're doing it. We're pulling the trigger. Um, this is going to be pretty wild, but we're going to do it. year later, um, I did an Ironman. That same summer, the summer before, so a couple of months before, um, I did my first, I guess, official marathon, which was the Philly Marathon. Um, and I just remember being so beat up from that thing that, as I thought about it and the approaching Ironman coming up, I was like, holy crap, like I'm going to do this <laughs> marathon, but I'm going to do it after you know, swimming for hour, two hours, biking for five to seven hours. Like this is going to be miserable. Um, and we got through it and, you know, it was fun. Um, and then I just pretty much dropped off the triathlon market. Um, yeah, I graduated from college in the Navy, overseas, forward deployed for the next three years. One of my biggest regrets was selling my triathlon bike before I headed over to southern Spain because turns out the weather and roads there are amazing for riding. Um, yeah, you were like in like Tour de France area, right? I mean, that's <laughs> like, you know, like Basque, I don't know if you're in Basque country, but, you know, bike riding in Spain is like football in America. Like it's like yeah, you know, bike, bike riding and soccer over there. <laughs> I never realized, I mean, you know, I didn't realize until I get there because, you know, I have this such small worldview I've I live in Pennsylvania um but it was so eye-opening going over there and with like the cultural difference it's like every obesity is and like being overweight is definitely an issue here in the U.S. and then you go over to Spain and you're like everybody here just looks like an absolute athlete like there's some outliers oh. but ev ev fitness over there is such a huge thing like everybody's just doesn't matter what age you are they're all like going out for their like evening walk or going for a run or going for you know, a, a bike ride, it's, it's pretty incredible to see, you know, some of those differences. Um, but while I was there, I didn't, um, I didn't really do much with, with the running or anything like that. I mean, our schedule was pretty brutal with, uh, the deployments out there and everything else, very little time at home. And 
I did go for runs occasionally, maybe three miles here, six miles there. I think the longest run I ever did in Spain was maybe 13 miles trying to like run to work one day and run back. Um, but that was really it. So did like three years there. And then the Navy next sent me to San Diego and I think like 2021. Um, and that's sort of where the running started to sort of take off. My last, I think, I guess my last six months there, um, one of my friends, he's a Marine. He's like, Hey, let's run the Marine Corps marathon. I was like, okay, cool. Like, I know I've done an Ironman. I've run a marathon before. Like, I can do this thing, piece of cake. Like, let, let's go do it. Uh, and, and, and this was in this this last Ironman and marathon were what seven years prior? Yeah, they're. You know, it feels like when you're young and you're only. I mean, I'm still young, but like when you're 24 years old, and you did it, you know, four or five years ago, it's like a quarter of your life ago that you did it. Right, right, and it's funny. It's like we we all we all know that. You know, fitness doesn't wipe away on a rest day, but we're like, oh, you know, but we did, did I lose a little bit of an edge. Like, yeah, that, that four that four year mark could probably take a toll on the aerobic system. <laughs> so I was like, all right, yeah, totally. Let, let's do it. This could be fun. Um, and then he drops the bombshell on me that he's like, oh no, but if we're gonna do it, we're gonna run it. We're gonna run sub three. We're gonna qualify for Boston. I was like, oh, good grief, great dude. Um, <laughs> oh gosh. And it was like five months out from we were doing the Marine Corps marathon. So it was like five months out from the race. Um, in, in the first, in the first marathon you did, but you ran three forty five, right? First marathon Philly was about a three forty, three forty five, Yeah. Somewhere right around there. Um, so basically, and obviously I ran much slower during the Ironman. Um, but yeah, my, my PR for a marathon was a three forty five. you know, many years ago. And now so it's like, okay, we're going to train for five months and go sub three. Um, and that was sort of like the launching point for the running. Um, I was doing probably, I was doing about six days a week. Um, I didn't have a coach. I just ripped some plan off the Boston Athletics Association website. It's like how to train for Boston. I'm like, okay, that's kind of what we're doing. And I just like three hour pace, six days a week. Let, I'll just do whatever this thing tells me to do. Um, and it worked out pretty well. Uh, we went to Marine Corps Marathon. Um, did a, I think I did a 256, 257, uh, while I was there and you know, secured the spot for, uh, Boston at the time. Uh, my friend, he, he did phenomenal. He did like a 247, absolutely crushed it, uh, for like one of his first marathons. And that was like, okay, I was like, this is the end of it. Like we'll do Boston in, you know, a year and a half from now because it was the, the tail end of registration. Um, and it turns out like, I really liked doing all the running and the training. Um, all right, let's dive into that. So you had, you had done some of this stuff in college, you know, and, and doing, you know, going, going into the Ironman world at that age is atypical, right? I mean, triathlon yep. is a brutal sport. It requires a ton of time and, it's just something you see a lot of college kids doing, right? I mean, there are triathlon clubs at different colleges, but most of those are more sprint or Olympic Olympic distance based, not Absolutely. not not Ironman based. So, what about your training for Marine Corps was inherently different, or more enjoyable, or ultimately more sustainable than the training you did prior? Yeah. Um, 
So, I mean, the Iron Man training, I'm trying to think. I think I was doing somewhere 20, 20 to 25 hours a week. Um, wow. And I think what kind of turns me away from Iron Man is I can swim for forever. Like, you put me in the water, I will sit there, I will swim forever. But no matter how much I try, I swim like a snowplow. Like, I can't get my legs up, all the technique stuff. Um, I'm sure if I work at it long enough, I will eventually get there. But I just I know I'm a slower swimmer, um, and that's fine. And so, like, I hated going to the pool. Um, and the biking and running were a little bit more fun for me. Um, but that was kind of the start of – I would I, – so I, would, I worked on uh, ambulance as an EMT in college, and I would work night shifts. So I would you know, work at night, class during the day, and then – mixing the, tri- the kind of the triathlon in there as well um and luckily over the summer when a lot of the bulk of the triathlon training lined up since i wasn't in school i would basically i would work nights you know 6a to 6p or 6p to 6a overnight um i would get off shift and immediately go and crank out a four-hour ride or whatever swim workout or run workout um, and then i would get back I would go to sleep midday, get up, and then go to work again. Because I was doing, I was doing anywhere from like 60 to 80 hours a week uh, on the truck doing the EMT thing. So it was sort of a an interesting balance of I have to do like these early morning workouts to make it fit with the rest of my day. Um, and that sort of kind of moved over to the marathon training in San Diego, where okay, like with the Navy, I'm my workday starts at 6.30 or 7 a.m. So if I want to get a, an hour training block in or I want to get a two-hour run in, I have to go early in the morning. I have to run before work because after work, I'm tired. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do as well. Um, there's you know, social obligations, all these other things that go on when everybody else is awake and you know, the world's moving. So if I want to get these things done, I have to do it in the morning for me. Um, and so that was very similar, the thing that moved over. Um, but otherwise, it was just, you know, there's some speed workout with it, but they're very similar in that it's just a lot of long, slow workouts. Yeah, I can't wait to talk more about the training. But one thing that strikes me listening to this, and I had a – I had an idea that this was probably the case before we started talking was just the hours you were putting in these productive hours, whether at work or training. So you, you, you talked about how this was the case in college and, and balancing that out and all of this stuff. Did this kind of just overall output and productivity, did this come before college as well? Is that how you would describe maybe your high school years or middle school years, or maybe there was some parental influence there? Like, can you trace back how and or why this kind of output on a daily basis, you know, just became the norm for you? Um, I don't, honestly, I haven't really tried to trace it back before. Um, I mean, like in school, right? I remember, you know, being in tears. You know, it's midnight. I've got homework due the next day. I have no idea how to do it or a test the next day. I remember like my mom or my dad, like sitting there at the dining room table, and it's like, okay, like 
quit crying, we're going to study, you're going to go to sleep, and you're going to go take your exam. Um, and, like, I did I did well in school. Um, super, I like to be competitive in the you know, you know, sports side of things. So I think there's just some innate, like, the personality of wanting to do well and being super competitive and, and willing to do all that. Um, and there's probably also a bit of just, you know, my, my parents aren't huge, like, athletes or anything like that. Um, but probably a little bit of that instilled by them is like, hey, you're going to work hard, you're going to do it, and then we're going to move on with our lives type of thing. So as you were progressing towards Marine Corps and you're putting in more miles, what did the... What did the mileage look like? You know, you talked before about the the time in training for triathlon, which I know can be very time intensive, especially when it comes to the bike. What was like the time per week and or the miles per week uh, during that five month build? All right. Quick break to talk about John G. I'm so excited. Two things I want to talk about. First of all, the John G clothes do the best five year run guarantee. Best stuff out there for sure. The things I want to highlight today twofold first of all the wind shell the zephyr wind shell i got this i love a good wind shell it's getting windy around here in rhode island and the thing about windbreakers is they also keep the heat in so i love these things they are so versatile they're so light i love a good wind shell the zephyr wind shell i just got it it's fantastic also the waffle the long sleeve waffle shirts i got three of them i love these suckers you're going to want to get them too. Oh, not only does John G again have the five year run guarantee, but they're stylish. They got some great stuff on the John G website. Use code rambling at checkout to save 15%. Not only do they have the top of the top shelf, brand new winter gear. They also have a great sales page and the code works on the sales page as well. Go to John today for the best gear in running. So we started again. It was, it was literally just a, cut and paste plan i found on the internet i didn't have a coach or anything like that paul um, literally everyone who comes on this show has the same start it's either <laughs> it's either that like getting it from like a baa or like a race website a lot yeah. of them have these things or i think 98 percent of the people been on this show have had the hal higdon free plan he has yep. mastered seo everyone starts off with the hal higdon free plan i actually had hal on the podcast once i was like hey i think at that point, it was like episode like 500 or something. I was like, I think the previous 499 guests have been one of your clients. <laughs> yeah. So, I, like you said, I think that's how a lot of people sort of get into it one of their first times. Um, I think I started at 20 or 30 miles. No, whatever it was, it was less than 30 because I remember the first week I ran 30 miles and my legs were screaming at me. And I was like, oh, my God, this training is going to kill me. Um, <laughs> like, running 30 miles on asphalt and concrete in San Diego, like, this is absolutely miserable. Um, and then, I, you know, I switched shoes and found a better shoe for me, and everything was a lot better. But um, I was like, man, 30 miles, this is going to be a very long training block because I think the most I did was, like, 60-mile weeks. I'm like, I have to do double this now. So I peaked out around 50 or 60 miles a week. Um, again, did it for 15 or 20 weeks, something like that. I had to shorten it and condense it down just a little bit because of timing. Um, and then, yeah, six, about six days a week and a lot of morning, early morning workouts, some afternoon workouts on the track on base after work. 
um, and then went out and, and did the Marine Corps. All right. This is so interesting because the the impetus behind doing this marathon was basically like, hey, do you want to go do this thing with me? Right. And like at first it was like, hey, all right, this is kind of like a participation sport. Yeah, I'll go run this marathon with you. And all of a sudden it is an entirely different endeavor. Now yes. you're like training like, you know, like a like a basically like an elite amateur runner is what you start is the kind of training you yeah, start it, doing. It's pipe too fun. Yeah, exactly. Well, talk to me about like, was it fun? Right. Because you didn't get in when you said yes. And maybe you had an inkling that you were going to end up ramping it up like this. Who knows? I guess you could tell me. But this seems to have gotten very serious very quickly. So talk to me about, you know, the investment you were putting into this, not just from a time perspective, you already outlaid it, but like the mental and emotional investment, the commitment that you're putting into this. And were like, were you getting joy out of this experience or was it simply like, Hey, I said, I had to, I said I was going to do this. So I'm just, I'm, I just have to follow through. I mean, there was definitely joy in it. I think that's why a lot of people, I think younger in life, people are like, man, like just like me, running sucks. I hate this. And then, and you I had that lot... experience. Maybe yeah, that's I how you that started experience. this podcast. That's how I started. Um, and then you start to discover, you start to do it a little bit later in life, and you start to discover, wow, there, I mean, there's so many benefits from it, whether it's health aspect, physical, mental, uh, the feeling that you get from it. You know, you get crushed on a workout. You're like, this sucks. I'm never doing it again. And then an hour later, you're like, dang, I can't wait to get back out there. Um, like it's, it's that type two fun that I mentioned where it absolutely, you hate it in the moment. You never want to do it again. You hope it just ends. And then you get done afterwards. You're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Let's, let's go. Let's see what else we can do. Um, that is kind of like the mentality I had with it. Cause starting out getting into that running when I was talking about that 30 mile week, um, absolutely miserable. And then as my body started to adapt, I did a little bit more. Uh, it just became okay, cool. Like I have my 22 mile long run this week. I can't wait to go do my 22 mile long run. But then there's also the weeks where it's like, God damn, I have a 22 mile long run this week. I don't know how I'm going to get through this week. Just thinking about it. Um, and so you have that back and forth portion of it. You have the highs, you have the lows. And I think that kind of that training relates to just like the races. You got the highs, you've got the lows. Now as an early morning runner, and then this was like so many people listen to this podcast, the dedicated amateur runners who have family and jobs and work and all this stuff. You know, you were, you know, basically you didn't have a choice. You had to start, you had to start right. out in the early morning by going later. As so many of us know, if you plan a run after work, like there is way, just way too many variables that can it's pop not gonna up. happen. Yeah. Yeah. So what lifestyle changes did you make? And maybe that you've continued since then, that allowed you to handle that kind of training, especially the training that were like, say the last two or three months when things started to get really heavy, um, that allowed you to not only do the training, but to absorb it, to come back and do it again. And even more importantly, be a functioning adult, like the rest <laughs> of the day, which again, a lot of us can go for our runs, but if we're not doing what we need to do, like we are, you know, zombies at work. Yeah. And I, I certainly, I know I've been there. So how did you ensure that you were not that, or maybe, maybe you were that and then you learned from your mistakes? Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of like the marathon training, it's, I think the number one thing is you got to eat. And I think a lot of people, they don't eat. Um, that's one of the things that I've, I've learned over, you know, the past two years is just how much, how important that nutrition part is. 
Um, I know I've, I even post videos now where like I'm eating a half a pizza before I go out for one of my runs now. And people are like, oh, you can't do that, or that's not good for you. It's like, well, everyone's got, everyone's body reacts differently. That's but it's ultra also like, training, man. That's ultra training. Like, you, you have to put calories into your body. Um, this isn't, like, when you're trying to start pushing, really pushing um, your running and start challenging yourself, like, you have got to put fuel in. This isn't a game of, well, I want to, I'm trying to look good while I run. It's like, no, it's, you have to, you have to put gas in your car if you don't your car will sputter and die. And that's kind of like you as a vessel moving yourself through a run. Um, and so that was one of the big adaptations was, cool, I get to eat more and I can eat pretty much whatever I want. Um, like even now, I eat like half a pint of ice cream every night. It's one of my favorite things. And I don't even think about it. Um, just because it's, it's the calories. Uh, I mean, the other part of that is I'm absolutely tired during the day for sure um even now with the ultra running a lot of people like how can you go on these 3 3 30 a.m runs and then you know go to work and it's like not be tired it's like no i am tired like it sucks um but this is what i have to do in order to kind of meet the goals that that we're trying to achieve and so just sort of shifting the mindset from Oh man, I you know I'm, I'm gonna be tired all day. This is terrible. It's like, no, I'm gonna be tired all day, and it's great because I get to go run and I get to go do all these incredible things that are building up to some culminating event. Yeah, and what's the what have you found? And maybe it changes depending on the kind of mileage you're putting in, the kind of the kind of events you're training for. But what have you found from a sleep perspective? That's kind of the minimum that you need. On a consistent basis, obviously there's going to be, yeah. you know, things that are outside the norm, either on the negative side or the positive mm-hmm. side. But just on a on a on a longer term basis, what's kind of the minimum range that you need to be functioning? Um, for me personally, and it's it's kind of wild, and a lot of people don't think it's sustainable. But I, I average about three and a half to five hours a night of sleep. Um, I definitely have a lot of sleep issues and which we're still trying to figure out. Finally, after two years, the Navy's got a sleep study scheduled for me. Um, but like, I just I don't sleep well at night, whether it's falling asleep, staying asleep, um, you know, moving around. Like, I just I don't sleep well. And so Has that always been the case? I'm sorry to interrupt. Has that always been the case? No, it, it really, I noticed it being an issue uh, when I got to San Diego after Spain. Um, so I think there's there's definitely some connection there between being on the ship underway all the time and, you know, sleeping in very small intervals and, and standing a watch in the middle of the night, go to bed for an hour or two, wake up, do the day. So I think there's some connection there. I don't know physiologically what all that is, and maybe they're going to find some information about that. Um, but it's not a very uncommon to have some sleep issues after doing these types of tours on the ships or even in any military branch, really. Um and so, but I think, you know, I, I go to these, you know, these medical appointments. It's like, how would you rate your your sleeping? Are you happy with the pattern? Do you want to change the pattern? And it's like one of those things where I'm like, yes, I'm unhappy. I would love to be able, like, I dread sleeping um, because I know it's not going to be good and it's just like a waste of my time. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't necessarily want to change it because I know that it's enabled me to do a lot of these things where I can pack an extra three hours into my day 
because I just don't need to sleep as much. I definitely pay for it. I feel it. I'm super tired. Um, but ultimately, I can. I know I can function off of those those three and a half to five, and I could do that for, you know, the foreseeable future. I, there's definitely a day or two where it's like, okay, I need to sleep like six or seven hours. But for the most part, I, I really don't need a lot to function. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, shoot, if it, this the way it goes, you really don't have a choice in the matter. Like, you're, if you're not going to fall asleep anyway, you might as well be doing something, I guess. I might as well do something with it, exactly. All right, so you run incredibly well at Marine Corps. You qualify for Boston. You run 256, which is absolutely astounding. You know, kudos to you. Now, at that point and moving forward, so many runners have choices to make. And a lot, oftentimes, it's kind of like, all right, do I want to get faster or do I want to run longer? And again, they don't yep. have to be mutually exclusive, right? Putting in a ton of training can improve, improve your aerobic base and can make you faster at every distance. But just from a race selection perspective, not just from a training perspective, that's usually the questions that we all ask ourselves. You clearly have gone <laughs> toward the, I want to run longer. So walk yeah. me through kind of that process by which you, you kind of keep, you know, either, you know, consciously came to that decision or how you kind of progressed through that. Yeah, well, it's funny. I finished Marine Corps, and I was like, man, I'm on top of the world. Like, I'm the king of running. I just ran this race. <laughs> um, you know, all the that post-run feel. And I'm like, I bet you if I trained, um, you know, I went from a 345 to a sub-3, I could qualify for the Olympics maybe. Like, give me four years, and, like, I'm going to go, was it France 24 or, like, LA 28? I don't even remember the year numbers now. I was like, oh, you got I'm it. Gonna... Oh, cool. So I was like, I'm gonna run LA, you know, 28. Um, and then I started talking to some people and I did some research on it. And I'm like, dude, there's no way I'm gonna do that. Like, I mean, I sure I probably could if I dedicated my life to it. Um, but I'm like, I'm pretty far behind the power curve to start doing that. Um, maybe 10 years, not you know, four years from now. Um, but I was like, I'm gonna keep doing the running. Um, and I had kind of dipped my toe into the ultra world. My first, was it my first year? I guess it was my first year in San Diego. Um, my first like six, eight months. Because one of my friends, she was doing a 50K out in Arizona. Um, it's a night run in the middle of the desert in like October. Javelina? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it was the Havelina Hangover. So okay. it was like, it was the Aravipa, they're the race organizer. Um, it was part of their overnight series of summer racing in the desert. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go out with you. So she lives in LA, drove up there, picked her up. We did, drove out to Arizona, did the race. I was like, again, it's like 50K, 31 miles. I've run a marathon. This is before Marine Corps. It's like, I've run a marathon before. I can run an extra five miles, like piece of cake. Um... Of course, I did no training for it. Um, I'd never run in the desert before. I'd never done an ultra before. Cla uh, this is like the classic roadie goes to trail story. Yes, <laughs> it's like where you see it's like where you see the roadie like doing their warm ups and their sprints beforehand, and everyone all the trail runners sitting there just eating their snacks, like waiting for the thing to start. They're all looking oh at you like, God, "What are you this doing?" Is great. Um, but no, I mean, we, we went. I did some trail running in San Diego. I got my trail shoes, and I'm like, okay, let me practice. I ran 10 miles. I'm like, cool, I can do this two more times. No big deal. Um, 
And then, yeah, I had my first experience with trail running and the desert and ultras all in one race. Uh, pretty terrible. Um, I definitely walked probably 40% of it. Um, and I just remember being out there in the dark. I didn't bring any water. I didn't have a hydration vest or anything like that. Like, everyone at the start's looking at me. They're like, we have an extra vest. Like, do you want to? I'm like, I'm good. Like, there's an aid station. Aid stations, of course, they don't have cups. You're supposed to bring your own. I had to buy a cup because I didn't have any way to drink the water at the aid stations. <laughs> um, I brought maybe... Oh, this is classic. I brought maybe, like, a granola bar or something, um, which I ate in the first 10 minutes, and then I realized, oh, my God, this is going to be terrible. Like, I don't have any water or food, and I'm in the middle of the desert running. Um, yeah, and, of course, I, I blew up absolutely destroyed i finished the, it's a two-lap course i finished the first lap and i just was like, so dejected thinking about i have to do another 15 mile loop um which isn't it's in the grand scheme of things not a crazy course i think the elevation gain is um you know 800 feet over 15 miles um you know eight so miles very tame very it's, tame it's a very world. tame course it is a great like beginner's introductory course and it's gorgeous out there um, but when I'm looking at the course ahead of time, I was like, oh, 800 feet, that's so big. Like, how can I possibly run this much? Um, and I just remember hiking through the night there on the second loop, like looking up at the moon, the wind's blowing. I'm all by myself. There's tarantulas. There's, you know, jackrabbits and things running around. Just thinking to myself, oh, my God, I'm going to die out here. Um, it's like you're not, far, you're not far from anybody at all, but just being in that little you know, bubble of darkness by myself – I'm like, oh, this is this is bad. This is very bad. Like, I have to keep moving because, like, nobody's coming to get me. Like, this is how I'm gonna die. I'm gonna I'm gonna pass out on the side of the road, and that's it for me. That was like what was going through my head. And all these you know trail runners are coming past me. They're lapping me. They're like, hey man, are you good? Because I was probably definitely like, swerving and walking a little bit. I was like, oh, I'm I'm good. I'm good. They're like, all right, dude. Um, and I eventually made it to the end definitely pooped my pants on the trail like just absolutely destroyed a cactus um which was quite an experience my first code brown out i'm just on the glad trail. the cactus didn't destroy you man that's oh, like yeah. an awful place to go i like pulled over on the side of the trail i was like where where can i go and i'm just like huddled behind like a tumbleweed in a cactus oh, my um God. man the, the chafing on that was unreal too um but i finished it my friend she crushed it she like got she like podiumed that was her first ultra as well but she's like she's big in the half Ironman world. She went to Worlds this past year for it. So like, she, she brought water. She had her vest with all her nutrition. Um, and yeah, we got back. And she, to the and she was ready. And she was ready to be on her feet for you know to be training and running. Not running, but she's ready to race for six hours. Like yeah, she's been she, living she knew, that life. She knew what she was signing up for. She just kind of dragged yeah. me along for it for fun, kind of like Marine Corps. Right. No, absolutely. And I love this like. Like inglorious introduction into ultra running because you know here we are just two years later and this is a, you're in a whole yeah. different world i mean you've run the canyons 100 mile you've run speed goat you've done utmb i mean this has been a wild two-year span from you know <laughs> this is this wild introduction into you know the the javelina overnight so Again, we don't have to do like a full race report on every race. You know, you, you, you cover this. You have a very 
robust and dynamic social media presence. People should go over to Instagram. I know you, you have more than that, but then that's where I follow you on. And it's, uh, you, you do a great job of chronicling not only these races, but just the day-to-day in the ultra scene. So as you had that experience, and then that led into Marine Corps, Yep. again, you had the decision, right? You can stay with the marathons, you could bump up to ultras, or you can say, hey, you know what? Nothing wrong with five Ks, ten Ks, half marathons, right? Like, or who, or who's to say? Like, you know, six months before that, you weren't running. Like, you didn't yep. have to continue running at all. So, was this a conscious choice to keep going? Was it the friends? Was it just the momentum of the moment? Talk to me about that. Yeah. So, with that kind of like dip into the ultra world and then the Marine Corps, I found that I actually hate marathons. Like, I'll do a 50K, but I absolutely hate marathons. Um, every marathon I have run, I have hurt myself. Uh, and I think it's it's definitely the speed thing. Um, even when I train for it, I've hurt myself. So, like, that Marine Corps, I got a stress fracture the week before the race. So, I basically had to run Marine Corps on a broken leg. Um, had to take a month off. When I did San Diego Marathon... Uh, the following summer, um, this past year, I did 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 pretty good on it. I think I got like a 2:46 on that one. Like I specifically trained for that marathon, and ended up with terrible IT band issues. Had to take like a month off again. Still running, but like I can only do like a mile a day. Um, finally got myself back together, and then I did Marine Corps marathon again this year, and I once again messed up. I've had shin splints for the first time in my life for the past month and like trying to run on those and keep up the mileage is people who have had them know it absolutely sucks. And so I found like, I hate speed events, but what really interests me is those endurance events. And I think it's to me much more of a challenge because it's like you are, you don't realize it at first, but you're going to be going out there for 24 hours, 30 hours, UTMB out there for 39 hours. Um, and you're just, you've got to keep pushing, you keep moving, and you're not even running the whole time, you're power hiking, or you're just trying to shuffle your feet to keep moving. And to me, it was such a more like invigorating challenge to be like, you don't have to be, like you look at the top marathoners, those people are, are fit athletes, individuals, like physically physical specimens. And you look at ultra runners, and yes, a lot of the top people are these elite athletes, but a lot of the people who still do very well, they're not necessarily these physical specimens. It's it's half more than half the battle is just in your brain and telling your body to keep moving, um, which you see, which I saw in UTMB where all these you know first place ran twice as fast as me in UTMB, but. Also, there were a huge number of elite athletes that dropped out of the race. Yet here I am coming in at 39 hours, and there's people coming in behind me at like 46 hours. And yeah, they beat the elite athletes because they didn't drop from the race. They just, they've been racing for more than twice as long, and they're still putting out the same level of comparative effort to how hard they're working. And so to me, that's such an awesome challenge, and what kind of really hooked me into it and what I've enjoyed with all these races is you know, pushing to that, to me, that physical limit of endurance of where can I push not only physically, but also mentally. And that was sort of like what tilted me towards those long range uh, endurance events. 
Can you think about a race or maybe a hard training effort where you look back on it and, and say, okay, like I, this was a, a mental challenge day that I didn't live up to and served as uh, a learning moment, right? In terms of like, hey, obviously, if, this, if it's all about the mental challenge here, then there's going to be days where you come up short and you learn from that experience. And that's part of the growing process. So there are certain days where you can paint the picture of that moment and what you learn from it. Yeah, I mean, I think UTMB is probably the best example of that um, because, I mean, I had done a couple hundreds and 24-hour races at that point, and I knew that race was going to be one of my longest races in terms of time to date. Um, and I had a lot of issues on that race in terms of nutrition. I, I couldn't keep any food down. Like, in the middle 20-hour span of the race, I only ate about 500 calories, like oh, I was dear. just, it was, it was bad because I couldn't, I couldn't keep it down. Anything that went in immediately went out the back. Um, and so I was just kind of surviving off of sips of water. And I just remember sitting at, I forget what aid station it was, what mile marker. It was before I went into Switzerland. So it must've been like mile 60 or something. And I'm sitting there at the aid station. I hadn't been able to eat for the past 12 hours. And I'm like watching the TV in the aid station. You see the, the first finishers just cross the line and finish the race. I'm like, holy cow, I have so far to go. Like I have another night of this still. It's only the afternoon. I'm not finishing until tomorrow morning. Um, and just physically, I, I don't have any energy because I haven't been able to eat. And just looking up at this mountain going into Switzerland and thinking, I can't finish this thing. Like, there's no way I'm going to finish this. Um, and it kind of made me think about, well, I signed up for this. Like, how often do I get to come to Europe and race in three countries in one race? How often do I get to go through the Appalachian Mountains? Or, sorry, not Appalachians. I'm thinking all the other stuff right now. Through, uh, uh, the, through, the, Alp, through the Alps. Yeah, another A name. Through the Alps. Um and like all this this beautiful scenery um like i have to at least keep trying um and i sat in that aid station for a while i took like a 20 minute nap there finally like got myself up and going and walking and i remember that cr that climb being one of the worst climbs for me just in the sunlight watching it all having to stop every 100 feet again blew up another code brown on the side of the mountain um, and mentally I was just so defeated by it, but I just kind of kept thinking about this is when my social media now has kind of taken a huge thing. And I know there's a lot of people watching Like to me, it was like, man, I can't let down. There's so many people that are like supporting me for it and like watching are so invested. It's like, I can't let those people down by just stopping. Like as long as I can keep physically moving my feet. I need to at least try. Um, and I did. I just kept moving my feet. And I remember getting to the top of that mountain and just sitting down on like the summit, kind of like laying on the ground, taking it all in, looking at my watch. And I was like, oh, that was only another five miles. We still have 30 <laughs> miles to go. And I just spent you know, three hours going five miles. Um, it's like, okay, 
but it's downhill like let's go and my perspective my uh my perspective of how much distance i had left was completely wrong and i was like oh i'm so close to that next aid station like i'm just gonna start running i'm gonna get to that next aid station and of course it wasn't where i thought it was but then i'm like oh man i'm actually running and i'm going pretty fast right now like i feel good and that was like getting over that hump of that last mountain like midday getting into switzerland getting to the top and like the sun's about to go down um to me it was like i was at my men physically obviously i could have kept going i did but mentally i was just completely tapped and, and out of it um but yet i still got up that hill um i think that's that's one of the moments that sticks with me the most in terms of like the racing and the training is there's some absolutely brutal moments and you don't do all that stellar or amazing but if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other if you just keep moving it turns out you can do a lot more than what you're telling yourself you can um and that's something that i think about a lot whenever i'm doing my training runs or or any other races is like that was probably one of my lowest lows of a training or a race and we got through that and there's going to be lower moments in future training and races too but that's something that just helps to kind of mold my mindset of it and and, and train like you can train physically but how do you train yourself mentally that to me was a mental training event of how do i keep moving through this yeah let's talk more about the mental training side like do you that experience is that something that all right that's there and I'll, that will always serve its purpose in terms of you know reminding me what i'm capable of or do you have to continue to push yourself into those into those situations and keep putting yourself in the fire because just doing it once isn't enough and that that, that ultimately isn't going to stick or isn't going to you know um i guess the knowledge gained from that experience isn't always going to be top of mind. You have to keep reminding yourself of, of it. Absolutely. Like, okay, I did that tough event, but now I'm like, okay, what's the next tough thing I can do? Like, how can I, how can I continue to challenge myself? It's just like going, to, <clears throat> it's just like going to the gym and trying to grow muscles. Like you don't grow muscles by going to the gym and lit, picking the weights up a couple times and setting them down and never coming back. Like, if you want to grow, you have to sh you grow your muscles, you have to stress your muscles. And I think that's the same on the mental level is if you want to grow um, with whether it's discipline, it's your approach, your mindset, developing as an individual, like you have to stress yourself in order to adapt and therefore grow. Um, and so it's the same with with the races and, and that mental part is like okay what's the what's the next challenge how can i how can i push myself to another limit and i you know there's a high probability that you fail when you when you do that and that's fine but did you learn something from it is that going to produce a little bit of growth there you go all right so recently as like a native Rhode Islander, I loved this. You actually had two, you embarked on two endeavors. First one didn't quite work out the way you wanted to. The second one did of going from Newport to Boston and back. And I loved following this. I was following this like in real time. Like it was, yeah. like it was a race. It was like, it was like following UTMB. I was so invested in this. <laughs> um, again, as a Rhode Islander, like I loved it. I loved like, I knew all the checkpoints. Like you're like, I'm here. I'm like, I've been there. That's great. Yeah. You know, it's like, I've been there. So this was, 
interesting. Again, it had that like, okay, I did UTMB. What more can I do? So you set this set off, set off on this. The first one doesn't go as well as you'd hoped. Again, it's more logistical issues than anything else. Second one, raining the whole time. I feel like it was raining like oh, the whole man. time. I felt so bad. So, so much like, rain. Morning, was, like, oh my god, so wet. Paul's gonna run in this. This poor guy. And so, what did you learn, say, from UTMB? I guess that was your yeah. the, the biggest race of of similar ilk that preceded this newest Paul Johnson challenge. So what did you learn from that? And what was it like to embark on your own adventure, right? You, you've run these races, you did the canyons 100 mile prior to UTMB, but this is, you know, the Paul Johnson classic, right? This is a completely different thing. So talk to me about what you learned about UTMB and what was the impetus behind, like not just more, but like something that was your creation. Yeah, so like moving to Rhode Island this past year, um, all sorts of things like running every street on a Quidneck Island, like all sorts of different little things that we've done as a group and for fun um, is like, okay, Boston's a big city nearby. How far is Boston? It's like, oh, it's less than 100 miles. I've run 100 miles. I bet you I could run to Boston. Um but then the more I kind of thought about it, it was like, oh, well, like, yeah, it is less than 100 miles. I've run 100 miles before. Like, that's not very exciting. I'm like, but round trip, it's like 150 miles. I haven't run 150 miles before, so let me try doing that. Um, and just like you said, that first attempt over the summer, I picked the worst day. It was like 90 plus degrees with over 50% humidity. Just I ended up with heat exhaustion on the side of the road at mile 50, and we called it. Um, that was sort of a hey. We're I remember gonna... running Blessing the Fleet like really close to that and being like, this ten mile race was like an endeavor in like the in similar conditions. I'm like, I don't understand how people are ultra running in these, yeah. in these weather in this weather. It was it was a rough day, and to be quite honest, there was like zero planning that went into that thing. I had a friend from work, and I was like, hey, would you be willing to drive with me and like give me water every couple of miles or something? Oh, so you just force gumped it. You just I literally you just, just, we just hit the road and we here just we go. picked the day and said, "Hey, are you, are you free? Yeah, cool. All right, let's go. Let's go do this thing." And it's like the, while I'm running and like the realization hit in, like, "Wow, we we didn't think about this at all. We just kind of went for it." It was kind of like when I did my first 50k. It's like I'm just gonna show up and do it. Right. Um, in, in this case, instead of instead of being like, "All right, there's aid stations all the way," you're like, "Oh, there's Dunkin' Donuts all the way. We'll just stop yeah, there." There's a Dunkin' Donuts. I think my friend he had like <laughs> he's like I bet he's like I bet you I can drink the coffee between each Dunkin' Donuts faster than you can run them. I was like, there's no way, dude. And of course I won. I was like, you can't drink seven cups. Of, there's so many Dunkin' Donuts. You can't do it. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I ended up with heat exhaustion. We had to call it. Um, you know, it was definitely very humbling and a lot of a lot of lessons learned on that. Um, but then it's just kind of lingered there. And then reattempted it. Um, much more planning went into it. Like, I had rotating crews of people every six hours coming out. I had some pacers. Um, and sure enough, game day showed up. And like you said, it was it was pouring rain. I did the first 80 miles. I don't know how much it rained it day, that day, but it was a lot. Um, 80 miles in the rain. No matter which way I turned, I had a headwind. Like It was, it was not very enjoyable <laughs> um, in the moment. And I made it to Boston in, I don't know, 13, 13 and a half hours or something. Uh, turned so you around. Were making good time, even with the rain. You were making good time. Even with the rain, I was, I was very happy with the time I was making, and it was a lot more elevation than Strava told me it was going to be. 
Um, it was more than double the elevation that Strava said it was going to be. Um, so that was a little bit of a a shock to me. I was like, I, I thought this was going to be a lot flatter, but oh well, I guess we're doing it. Um, but yeah, I was making good time for it. Um, and we got to Boston, and I was like, okay, like this sucks. I've, I've it's been raining all day. I'm soaked. Uh, but we did it, so let's turn around and let, let's go back. Um, and that that was definitely a tough night trying to get back. Um, and we I ended up calling it at mile 130 the next morning, about 30 hours in. Um, I was having a lot of issues with my right quad, um, and I, I still don't know if it was muscular, if it was electrolytes or what. Like we tried for an hour just drinking pickle juice, all sorts of things, stretching it out, resting it. Um, walking with it, and it was at the point where, like, I was holding my quad with my hands, and I would take a step with my left leg, and then I'd use my hands to move my right quad forward. Like, I couldn't oh. move, I couldn't move the muscle on my own power. Um, and I was just like, I did that for like an hour, and I was like, what, what are we doing here? Like, we're not, we're not getting anything out of this. I've sort of, I've achieved what I wanted to achieve, which was really, what is those, what are those 75 miles to Boston feel like? how have the logistics worked. I was like, we're going to try this again another day. Um, and then and that's what came of it. Like, it was – physically, it was tough with the weather. We got through it. We, um, mentally, that weather was tough. But, yeah, we, we didn't quite make it. We made the 130 miles, the furthest distance I had run in a single race, and, and I was happy with it. And it sounds like you legitimately pushed yourself to your physical limit. And I say legitimately because, like, someone can push themselves to physical limit but part of that can be like just being negligent in like in their diet choices or not having enough water. Like it sounds like you prepared to have the day you need to have and you push yourself as far as your body could go, which is something that not a lot of people can say. Yeah. I mean, it's, you think a lot of people think about it in terms of, you know, ultra world, you've got your hundred mile race. I mean, anything greater than a marathon, right? But the big kind of events are like you've got your hundred miler, uh, you've got 200 milers, you got 250 milers. Um, and I was kind of thinking about it kind of dejected, like, man, I only made it 130 miles, but like 200 miles is like, that's like, that's like the next level. That's like the next event. And I could only make it 130, like what's wrong with me type of thing. But then I thought about it more and it's like, I had a completely different strategy and goal going into it. Like, like, like what you said, I... We hammered the pace into Boston, um, took no rest at all, turned around and came back and doing it in the rain the whole time. Um, I didn't really do until like 1 a.m. that night. I really didn't do any walking at all. Like it was the whole time I wow. was running, which is very different than how a lot of these long distance races work. Like there's a lot of walking involved in terms of any hills and things like that just to help the body recover um and not exert too much energy um and so i thought about it's like i also ran this thing on you know a road camber the entire way in and i think i think some of that did you say on the same side of the road the whole time pretty like unless there was a side even if there's a sidewalk i prefer to run in the road just with the asphalt and just the visibility Mm -hmm. um but for the most part yeah i was on that left side of the road that's tough the whole time and you don't really think much about it and then 130 miles later i'm like okay i'm thinking about it now 
Right. Um, this reminds me of, the, of what we were talking about before we pressed record of like, hey, like, you know, sometimes you get, we were talking about, you know, one of the guys who used to coach and you had a similar story of like, hey, a little blister might feel like a little blister. But if, yeah. if it's like you're running on like that blister or that corn or whatever for a long time, like it changes your gait. And if your gait changes for a long time, there's going to be some downstream effects. It starts messing things up. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, like I thought about it, I was like kind of dejected. But I'm like, it's not about... Um, you know, it's not about that comparison with what well, all these other people are doing this 200 mile race. It's what did I do with myself in that moment? Um, which is what's cool about running is okay. Yes, there's a competitive aspect. You're trying, you're trying to compare yourself with other people and, and win the race or do whatever. But it's also that what did you do with what you had at the time? Um, and given all of those circumstances, I'm really happy with how even though it was a DNF and and we failed to make the entire run to Boston and back, um, very happy with how it went overall, how the logistics ran, how the support ran, um, and just how, how my body was feeling um, up into kind of like that stopping point. Right. And in the spirit of what's next, what more can I do to test myself? You are embarking on a, a similar but exponentially harder endeavor <laughs> next March 24th. Tell me about this sucker. Yeah, so uh, this coming spring, I guess spring, winter, however you want to look at it, um, 2024, March 1st, I'm going to... Oh, March 1st. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah, right, I'm... March 2024, but March 1st. Um, March 1st, I'm going to run from Los Angeles, California to New York City. Um, all the way across the United States, 3,000 miles, um, commonly referred to as the Transcon, the Transcontinental Run. Um, and rather than just running it, we're, we're going to try to see if we can try to set a new world record with it. Um, so the current record is 42 days, 6 hours, 30 minutes, uh, which works out to about 72, 73 miles a day. Um, we're going to try to do it in 40 days, so about 75 miles a day. There you go. All right. So this is a long way off, but at the same time, you know, it, get, it gets late early. In these it, it kinds gets of late early. You, you it's really coming have to up get fast. Ready. Yeah. So what is the the planning, the logistics, and just who are, like, the people you talk to to try to master this sort of thing? Because unlike the Newport to Boston and back, this isn't something that can just be redone because obviously this is a huge crew endeavor not just a huge running endeavor yeah i mean the run itself all told probably less than 400 people have ever done it i mean you think about in terms of the amount of people that climb mount everest every year there's like six or eight hundred people climb mount everest every year and yet in the lifetime of the continent of north america existing what we know maybe 400 people have done this thing so it is a very rare event to do. It's, I think it's become a little bit more popular in the past couple of years, um, which is awesome to see. But there's not a lot of info on it. The only info you're going to find on it is people who have already run it. Right. Um, and that's one of the most, I think, valuable resources so far. I've had some connections and friends that have done it, like sharing information like, hey, this is the route I took and these are the issues I had there. Um, looking at the the current record holders, what did, what did they do? Um, like, for example, just last week or two weeks ago, uh, there's a woman, I think Jen, Jenny Hoffman, I think is her name, 
she just crushed the female record by over a week. Um, and like that was her second, her first attempt was four years ago, and she had to stop for a knee, like knee surgery in Ohio. Um, and then just like, you know, that's two weeks ago, she absolutely obliterated the old female record, um, which is insane. And so people are doing these things, and there's not like a whole lot of, unless you really hammer the media aspect of it, there's not a lot of people that cover that know about it or a lot of coverage on it. Um, and so trying to get those logistics together is a lot of just, well, we're going to see what happens or trial and error with like that Boston run. Um, and so in order to make this thing happen, it's like we're going to be living out of an RV the whole time. Um, basically RV and another support vehicle. Um, my job is just to eat, sleep and run. Like I can't do social media while I'm doing this thing. Like I just I do not have the bandwidth. I don't have the energy. Like I'm running 13 to 15 hours a day. Yeah, you're not going to be pre- preparing meals either. You're not, you're not going to be I, doing I, any of that. Yeah, like I don't have time to cook food. I don't have time to make my bed in the morning. I don't have time to make a decision on what clothes am I going to wear today. Like I, I, I have to have all that done for me so that I don't have to use any of my brain power or energy on that. Um, and so we've got a crew of – it's probably end up being like four to five individuals. Um, some other service members. Uh, my mom's gonna be coming out for it. There's one or two people on running the social media side of the house. Um, so it, it's quite a logistical endeavor. But yeah, living out of living out of an RV um, and just you know pounding mile after mile, day after day. I love the idea of having your mom there because she's already because she's already seen you at your worst. You know, yeah. like you're not, you're not going to be at your best a lot of these days, right? In terms of like your human yep. interactions, but like your parents have already seen you at your worst. So what, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, they see me at my worst, and like my mom came out to UTMB, um, so she saw she was with me for one of the, like the fat final couple aid stations, like miles. Oh like, wow! Like miles 80, 88, and like ninety five or something like that. Um, and I remember showing up at mile eighty aid station, not having been able to eat the past twenty hours. And just like looking at her and like complete zombie, I was like, I haven't eaten in 20 hours. And she's just like, sit down. She disappears. She comes back with like this charcuterie spread of like little meat sandwiches she put together from the A station. She's like, eat this. France, man. Um, yeah, charcuterie France. boards. <laughs> charcuterie boards. And then I was like, she's like, I saw French fries. Do you want French fries? I'm like, yes, I want. But like, that's all I've wanted this entire race was some potatoes and I haven't seen any. <laughs> And so, like, the next aid station, she had, like, a bag of hot French fries for me and, like, probably saved the race for me at the end there. Um, So, like, that was her first time ever, like, being in the ultra world or crewing or anything like that. So she started to have a little bit of that experience. So she kind of knows at a very basic level what this is going to feel like. I love it. All right, before we get going, um, obviously, we talked about it before, and I also mentioned in the introduction you do a great job chronicling your running on social media. So people are interested in following along, not just on this big adventure coming in March, but just on the day to day, where should they go? Yeah. Um, pretty much Instagram's my main platform. Uh, you can find me at Powie Johnson. It's just Paul Johnson, but instead of an L it's an I. There we go. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show, my man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for having me.